It's, it's a season for us of, as a church where there's just a lot of change. And so we're excited about kind of some of the changes that we're seeing. But one of the major changes that we have coming, as I have mentioned to you guys in the past, is uh, we have a church from uh, over near Forest Hills. It's called Heart, Ta- Heart Change Fellowship. And they're going to come and uh, beginning of July are going to come and become a part of Charles River Church. And I just, as I've already shared with you a number of times, uh, this is a decision that their leadership and their people and our leadership have uh, just been prayerful about and really feel led of the Lord that uh, this is a new season for us to enter into as church families where two churches uh, become one and uh, we, we share a very similar vision uh, as to how we want to go about impacting Boston. We share a very similar vision as to what a healthy church uh, would look like. And so uh, in order for more people across Boston to know Jesus and become faithful followers of Jesus, Heart Change is going to jump in uh, in July and become a part of our church family officially on July 8th. And so uh, in order for a very kingdom-minded move like this to take place, it requires a very humble, godly leader. And so that is Jua Robinson. He, he's pastoring the church for 10 years, started the church with his family uh, 10 years ago. And uh, this morning, I'm excited because prior to my sermon, uh, you guys get to hear a little bit from Jua. And so would you join me in just showing Jua some love as he comes up here? Come on up. This is my boy. He's going to be your boy here pretty soon. Uh, but we're just uh, excited to have you up here and to hear a little bit of your heart uh, this morning. You just came back from uh, teaching a, a retreat for college students over at Simmons College, which is cool. And uh, he does a lot of stuff with uh, Athletes in Action as well, which one of our own, our ministry assistant, Andrew Nilsson, is a part of, with, which is also kind of a, a sister ministry of, of crew, which we have a lot of crew uh, ministry people here uh, in our church. But Man, I'm so excited to have you up here and just to share your heart with our people. And so I know three of your four children are, I believe, in our River Kids program right now. And so, Praise uh, the Lord. Yeah. Praise the Lord. <laughs> yeah, just, just breathe right here. Just stretch out. Take it easy. But uh, would you just maybe give the, the church family here just the, the quick lowdown on your family, on the kids, and uh, your wife, Regina, as well. That'd be great. Yeah. First of all, what's up, Charles River? Uh, we're excited to be here. I get one, one wave. <laughs> but uh, as Josh mentioned just a second ago, our church is a, is a call and response church as well. So what's up, Charles River? What's up? All right, all right. <laughs> Make me feel like I'm at home. Um, but my wife and I, uh, Regina, who's here on, on my right in the white, go ahead and wave your hand, honey. Um, we've been married uh, as of July, June 1st. Oops, June 1st is 16 years trouble. of marriage. I know I'm in trouble. Um, <laughs> And uh, we have four kids, 12, 10, 8, and 5. Um, our kids, uh, we live in Hyde Park, actually live really close to where we are right now. Um, kids are attending BPS schools in Hyde Park as well. And uh, just really excited about uh, being here. Um, part of, um, well, I'll answer that in a second. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And I know your wife, uh, Regina, is on the Boston Public School Committee. Yes, school Committee, yeah. And uh, works yeah. at Cambridge College as yeah. well. Yeah. yeah, she's the Dean of Student Affairs at Cambridge College. Yeah. So, uh, so the Robinson household is, is never lacking for things to do. So. <laughs> and I think when, when we were at college uh, back in Virginia, we went to the same college. And uh, I believe your wife was Dean over my wife. And so fortunately, yes. she never had to go visit you because yes. she was uh, nice yes. and innocent. Yes. But uh, that's, my, uh, that's my wife. I love her. But uh, anyhow, uh, so I know um, 
I know uh, Jordan was born, uh, or born outside of Boston, but the other three were born in Boston, yes. right? So yep. tell us yep. just quickly the story of how your family uh, moved to Boston, how, how you guys got here, the calling yeah. God on your lives. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the, the short story is um, prior to moving to Boston, I was a part of two other church plants, uh, one in Ohio, uh, another one in Virginia. And when I went to Virginia for seminary, I just did seminary at Liberty. Uh, around my second year, I really felt God, we both felt God compelling us to, to church plant. And as we prayed about different places, uh, I was invited to come to Massachusetts to preach here. And during our ministry trip, we had an opportunity to meet with what I call many of the, the gatekeepers of the city, uh, folks who are in Boston, who were uh, serving faithfully in Boston for a number of years and really just shared my heart and my vision of planting a multi-ethnic church in the city that engaged uh, the needs of the inner city, but also had an opportunity to engage individuals who were connected to the colleges and universities. And as I shared that vision with many of them, they said, I don't know of a church like that in Boston. And so, um, and so for many of them, they really helped to confirm what we felt God leading us to do in terms of, being, of, in terms of coming to Boston. Gotcha. And gotcha. so we moved to Boston in uh, 2006. Uh, prior to that, after seminary, uh, you mentioned my daughter. She was born in Little Rock, Arkansas. I, did a, I was participated in a church planting residency program for a year. And then we moved to Boston in 2006. Uh, started our church in Roxbury near the Ruggles T station in 2007. Yeah, so, very cool. Yeah. Very cool. So what part of Ohio? Cleveland. Cleveland. Yeah, oh, yeah, I just yeah, had to jab. Yeah, yeah, I knew no, that actually. Yeah, I just yeah, kind of yeah, set no, them up. That, that was on My purpose. condolences. But we still beat the Celtics. So that's true. That's true. I really can't say anything. Oh man. Well, uh, one of the things I love about Heart Change and just excited for that, that part of their DNA to come and just kind of be grafted in with us is uh, just so engaged in the community. And uh, we've talked about this over the years and just love what they're doing. And so just, would you just share just for a minute a, a little bit about kind of how the church has been uh, engaged in the community? I know you started and had quite a few uh, students from Berkeley. And so uh, you had Stellar Band, which I'm kind of excited about. But, uh, but uh, tell us a little bit more about kind of engaging in community and college and things. Yeah, yeah. So, so as I mentioned, we started in Roxbury. And uh, we started near the, the Ruggles T station. And so kind of in our DNA has always been this idea of mission and really committed to the gospel and committed to seeing our community uh, really be reflected with the presence. And so we said when we moved into the community, we would love to see them happier that we're here as opposed to being happy when we leave. Yeah. And so um, starting day one, we were very invested in the, the Whittier Street uh, housing project. Um, um, about a few months later, we also, um, excuse me, about a, a year and a half later, uh, we transitioned to the Orchard Garden School, uh, which is right on Melnick Cass Boulevard, and we were there for about three years, uh, really serving in the Orchard Garden community. And so, um, I know like you guys, you know, really served faithfully here in Rosendale. We had a similar ministry of uh, really being invested in the community, um, um, engaging residents, uh, hosting gatherings, just really being a part of the fabric of the neighborhood. And uh, we even started a um, kind of a, a back-to-school backpack outreach where community organizations came out and were a part of it. And the community was so pleased by it, they actually took it over. And so they still do it to this day. That's to cool. where they, yeah. they manage it and, and, and run it. Yeah. Um, 
back in uh, 2012, we transitioned from the school to JP and our focus kind of shifted to, to education. And so since then we have a, a program at English High School where folks at our church commit a year to investing in a high school student. And they commit to we meeting weekly with a high school student yeah. um, from English High School every week. Man. Yeah. Love that. You guys know where English High School is right there? Yeah. Across from Doyle's, just over the other yeah. side of uh, Forest Hills there. That's beautiful, man. I love that. And again, I've, I've admired, I shared this with these folks a while ago, a month or so ago, when we kind of announced what's going on, uh, that just have admired your ministry for a long time and all that you're doing. And, and have, you know, for a few years, just kind of wondered, you know what? feel like we, we could be better together. And then all this, the Lord starts doing all this stuff. It's pretty cool. And uh, so I love that. But hey, tell us a little bit about the people of Heart Change. I know uh, we, we have a roster we've been praying. Our people have been praying through uh, by, by everybody in the church by name. And so I think there's 27 adults, 15 kids, and two on the way. That's how real it is. Two on the way. And so uh, we've been praying for them. And uh, just tell us a little bit about just the people, kind of their distinctives, their heart. I love that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting. I mean, you, you know well, um, pastoring in Boston, you have different seasons. You have your, your, your congregation looks kind of different because yeah. this is such a highly transient city. And so if you were to ask me this question five years ago, we would have been 60% college students. Yeah. And so right now, you know, our congregation is a lot of uh, young families, uh, folks who are you know, late 20s, you know, early 30s, you know, folks who are uh, living in the city, um, really concerned about Boston, you know, really want to serve, yeah, you know, yeah. really faithful with their, on their jobs, and uh, folks who uh, just have a heart for Jesus yeah. and really value community and, and really thinking critically about how their faith impacts every area of life. Yeah. Because that's something that we talk about a great deal at our church. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I yeah. love that. Very cool. Well, you guys excited to welcome them in? Yeah, for sure. I know I am. And uh, like I said, we've been praying for everybody by name and uh, want to keep that up and uh, know that know that these folks are some of the most hospitable people I've ever known. And so uh, they're going to hopefully uh, not be able to meet with all of you guys because you're all inviting them over for coffee and dinner and, and all that good stuff. And so hopefully they'll just have to say no to some of you. And you won't be offended because you know that other people are, are asking them to come over too. So love that. Uh, tell, tell us a little bit, you know, with, with the people of Heart Change, uh, tell us how we can just be praying specifically for them uh, through this transitional season. Yeah, yeah. That's a great question. Um, so let me, let me kind of explain kind of how we got to this point a little bit, maybe yep. in that, in that. So last year we celebrated 10 years as a church and each month from our, our anniversary, I said, let's begin to have a conversation about our future, our direction, what we hope to see God do in and through us as a congregation. And through a number of different conversations, one of the things that we recognize is God has done some very unique things in our congregation. Uh, we've seen some tremendous fruit in terms of people being discipled, coming to Jesus, um, really being able to see their, their giftedness in community. And we felt like at, we were at a point where we would be best served by serving together with the congregation. And so there were several conversations that we had, uh, that I had not just with, with Josh, but with other pastors in our city who I felt kind of a, we, that we had some similar similarities in our DNA. And, um, and so that conversation led to our church also being a part of a conversation. Uh, we had folks who came and visited all of those churches, including Charles River. 
So we had some spies in the church that you guys probably didn't pay attention <laughs> to. And so they came back and reported to us uh, all of the different experiences they had at each of those churches. Um, and we had a, a, a gathering as a congregation where we talked about that. And, and because really I wanted my church to really help inform me about what they've been able to glean from the congregations in the area as well. I didn't want this to be kind of me saying, all right, we're going in this direction, but I really wanted our body to really be a part of that decision. And so long story short, as we kind of did a vote and as the Lord even kind of confirmed it in my heart before we voted, we really felt like Charles River what was it. Yeah. And so, and so um, in, re in relation to prayer, you know, just really praying about uh, just, just transition. You know, later today, Josh is going to come to our church, and we're going to do the same thing, have a, a, a Q&A and have some time to talk as well and for our folks to get to know him. But really, um, really praying uh, that, that the Lord would um, just prepare people's hearts well for transition. Yeah, uh, yeah. We have a lot of folks who have been serving faithfully um, in a smaller church for a number of years. And there's some, some weariness in our congregation. Uh, actually, my wife and I feel some of that as well. And so being able to come and enter in to a body that's thriving and experiencing God's fruitfulness is, is, a, is a blessing, I think, for all of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it's good to know, right, that we can, uh, how we can pray very specifically for them and uh, just encourage them as they're coming in as well. And so, uh, yeah, and it's also just so sweet to see, you know, when, when you feel God doing something in your heart to have other believers. We've talked about discerning God's will a number of times, right? To have other believers uh, confirm that in your lives and just have the whole congregation confirm what God's been doing with you guys and us. It's, it's really uh, just a sweet thing. So, uh, and then also, how can we be praying for your family uh, in this transition? Yeah, um, that's a great question. So um, for my wife and I, you know, as I shared, we've, we're a part of a lot of different things. Um, you know, outside of pastoral work for myself, I've been uh, invited by a number of Christian leaders in the area to start a, a new organization in our city. Uh, it really focuses on helping um, believers and churches kind of work together around several different social issues in our city, really as a way of seeing the body of Christ really be united around John 17. And so it's been a, a lot of work <laughs> getting things going with that as well. And so uh, for my family and I, uh, one is we recognize the journey that we've been on. Mm -hmm. um, our son, who's 10 years old, uh, has a disability. He has Down syndrome. Uh, my wife has been a, an amazing advocate for uh, disability in the city of Boston and um, and so many different circles, the Boston School Committee and several others around the city as well. Um, and so we've just been involved in a lot. Yeah. And one of the things that we've said is when we transition here, we, we just want to have some time just to rest, you know, as opposed to kind of taking our journey and our experience and just kind of coming in and saying, all right, what can we do? But to really say, Lord, how are you wanting us to to kind of rest as a way of healing, but then also resting as a way of entering in and modeling to our congregation what does it look like to be faithfully and committed uh, at, a, at another body of Christ. Mm -hmm. and, so, and so we're gonna be doing that. Um, and so you can just pray 
pray for us as a family to do that well. You know, obviously there's a, a grieving process that happens when you, when you have a transition and you've been focused in one direction for such a long time. Mm -hmm. And so just really praying about that as well. Yeah. Um, our last service is gonna be on June 24th. And so um, just really wanting to, um, you know, to do that well yeah. And, yeah. And, and, you know, just enter in as, as best as, as we can as we trust the Lord. Yeah, yep. yeah. You guys going to commit to that, to pray for these guys in the transition? Amen. For sure. Yeah. Yep. And uh, man, I just, uh, I, love, I love your heart. I love uh, all that God's doing with you and, and your family and, uh, and, and now the church body and just eager to, to continue to support and also to be a place where, where you guys can get some rest. So if anybody has a vacation home in Cabo, just give them a week, we'll, we'll you know? We'll take that. Praise <laughs> the Lord. Praise the Lord. And a jet yes. to fly them there. Yeah. yeah. But... Uh, <laughs> That would be great. But hey, uh, here, here's how it's going to look uh, moving forward. We're going we're gonna to pray in just a minute, but I want to let you know. So uh, July 8th, July 1st is kind of tough because everybody vacates, school gets out and just pff, everybody's gone. Uh, some of you will be here and we're going to have a good Sunday, right? But uh, July 8th is going to be the first official Sunday where the two churches uh, become one. And so if you're thinking, when am I going to come back at midnight on July 8th? Maybe you can come back at 9 a.m. and show up to church and welcome them well. And we'll have a, a good gathering together. And uh, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 12, which is just this rich passage on just the church working as a family and as a body. And so it just works out so well there. It's like God knew what he was doing or something, you know. And so uh, that's what we're going to be doing. And uh, we'll get together. And then afterwards, we're going to go to Adams Park, which is Rosendale Village, right in the square there. And uh, do a picnic uh, lunch there. So you can either bring something or you can stop by Subway or any of the shops around the area there and uh, get you some food. And we're going to hang out, just get to know each other better as congregations celebrate. Uh, I'm going to whip you in some uh, cornhole and it's going to be a lot of fun. All right. So uh, bring your lawn games. But that's, that's July 8th. And uh, we're uh, excited to welcome them. I know you guys are just going to love them really well. You're going to have your black book with you. And uh, you're going to be making some dates to connect with people. And uh, that's how it's going to look. But I also want to let you know uh, that what's going to happen in the, in the transition is Jew is coming on as one of the elders of our church. And so we're, we're really excited about that. And so as you know, the, kind of the way our process looks is there's kind of a one-month period uh, for you to get to know them and uh, just to ask any questions you may have. And so just consider that today. That starts, right? And then July 8th, we're going to jump in uh, full on uh, with, with Jua. Uh, but we also want to, uh, July, he's coming on, but we also want to be able to give him rest. And so we're going to let his family uh, rest. And uh, so this next month, seek to get to know them as best as you can. And uh, then also, they're, they're not going to shut the doors so they don't talk to us, but we're going to try to give them uh, some rest in that kind of that transition season moving forward. So they, they've been grinding hard, uh, planting a faithful church and seeing lots of people come to know Jesus and disciples. And so we're going to give them that uh, through the summer and uh, into the, 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 the rest of the school year coming up. So uh, really excited. Uh, what I want to do is I just want to take some time to pray. And so uh, just a little secret, uh, when, when guys get called to, to start churches and to pastor churches, it's not just kind of like a pastoral calling. It really is a familial calling. Uh, it's, it's something that God does. He calls a whole family. And uh, it's fun for me, and I'm sure similar for, uh, for Jordan as well. But for my, I talked to my oldest son who, you know, we had a good house, a nice, we just built our dream house in central Massachusetts uh, when we moved to Boston to start another church. Within six months, God said, all right, I know you got your dream house, but you're going to sell it in the bottom of the economy and move to Boston and, and start a church. And uh, 
it's been, it's been cool for him to see uh, and my family just to kind of see how we went from that to a pretty rough apartment and kind of, you know, God's just been faithful to provide. And uh, it's just, it's a, a real beautiful thing in the, in the life of a family. And so I thought maybe we could just invite our lovely wives up here and uh, pray together. And uh, would you guys join us as we pray together? So come on up here. Uh, this is uh, Regina coming up here with uh, my wife, uh, Becky. And we'll just uh, grab hands, show everybody that we love each other. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, let's pray. Yeah. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for your graciousness that you would allow a church to be planted uh, in Roxbury, transition to Jamaica Plain to see people come to know Jesus and college students and young professionals who have come to know Jesus and now have been scattered all over the country, a clustering in, in Los Angeles, a clustering uh, in Africa. It's just so, so beautiful to hear of all that you've done through this church family. And we know that this is only the beginning. As our church has become one and continue on your mission. We pray, God, that you would propel us forward, that this would, for both of us, be fresh wind in our sails on the mission of Jesus. Lord, that we would make much of you on this side of the city. And God, I pray for uh, the people of heart change in this transition. I, I know that it's, there, there's some grieving along with some excitement. And so God, in the transition, I pray that you would help us as church family to love them well and to help them as they navigate this process and to be hospitable and gracious and have conversations and, and ask good questions and sincerely get to know them and love them. That they would, they would, they would never, never, never be the heart change crew. They would immediately be family. And so, God, that's what your spirit does, and so we just commit it to you. And, God, I pray for the Robinsons. Thank you for their faithfulness. God, just thank you for the chance to know them and uh, to just learn from them and watch them uh, for a number of years now. And, God, thank you for your spirits leading uh, and connecting us together. And we just pray that as you lead us forward, we would make much of you and that they would be refreshed in this season. They would just rest knowing that, that you keep the world spinning. Uh, you are the one in control. You, you've got this. And so give them the ability to rest and just focus in on their relationship with Jesus and just have just, just a freshness in their soul. Their children would be encouraged through the summer. And so we commit them to you. And God, we anticipate all that you're going to do with eyes of faith. And so we commit this transition to you. And we just pray that two churches would truly become one and that we would be able to display to our community and to the kingdom here in Boston what it looks like when people really live out the calling of John 17. God, you pray, I pray that they may be one as I and you and you and me, that they may be one so that the world would know that you have sent Jesus. And so God, I pray the prayer of Jesus that we would become one in such a way that it's reflective of the Trinity, which is com completely impossible without the unifying power of your spirit within us and a shared mission. And so God, we commit it to you. We love you. We need you in all of this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 All right. Love you guys. Love you. Would you guys show them some love one more time? So much love for All right. All right, you thought you were going to get out of a sermon, but you were dead wrong. You were dead wrong. All right, so First uh, Corinthians chapter 10 uh, this morning is where we are going to be. I'm just messing. Uh, we're going we're gonna to get into some good, good scripture. And uh, if you have a Bible, you can flip on over there. If you have the church app, you can uh, find the Bible on the church app and get on 
over there. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to, to just give you any Bibles that are floating around here. Uh, that's for you. And so if, if it's a leather Bible, uh, you look up that name and that phone number beside it and you call them and say, did you realize you left your Bible? You need to be reading that. But if it's a paperback Bible, that one's yours. And so we got baskets all over the place here uh, with Bibles for you. Uh, what we're looking at here is a letter from Pastor Paul to a church that he started in Corinth, uh, Greece. And uh, I just, I love this letter. You guys having a good time in this letter? We got through some of the hairy stuff already, and it's going to get hairy again this summer. And so if you want to watch me sweat, you just hang around all summer long. But uh, Paul this morning uh, in the scripture has a really good warning for all of us. And so I'm excited to, to dig in for a few minutes together. So a couple years ago, I... Uh, I discovered uh, the trails in the woods of Millennium Park, uh, right uh, in West Roxbury and Needham, right along the Charles River. It's just a whole network of just miles and miles of trails. And I, I love telling people about this hidden gem. In fact, I recently told my neighbor, you got to check out the trails because he's like, where do you go when you run? I said, you got to check, check out the trails back there. There's lots of trails. He came back and goes, wow, so cool back there. And uh, just, just lots of trails. And I remember when I first discovered them, I was running back uh, in the woods. And uh, as I'm running, I come around a corner and I, I, I run up upon uh, just this sweet older couple kind of hiking together. They had their hiking sticks and they're, they're hiking through the woods. And I just thought to myself, how cute are they? Just that cute little older couple. And as I approached them, I gave them the typical Boston, hey, how are you? And uh, right as I said, how are you? My, my younger, faster, more pep in my young self step tripped on a root and face planted right at their feet. <laughs> Just laid out, sprawled out right at their feet. And so I, I pop up and I, and I took off and, and got around the corner where I was out of sight and uh, I stopped and I assessed my wounds and I had like a scraped up arm, a scraped up face and uh, even worse was my bruised ego. And so uh, this is Paul's message this morning essentially, really. This is, this is Paul's message. He says, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 12, right in the middle of it all, he says, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. So I'm calling the sermon this morning, Cocky Christians. This, the sermon is Cocky Christians. Don't be a cocky Christian, all right? The, the Corinthian Christians were idol worshipers along with the rest of their city until the Apostle Paul and his team come in, tell them about Jesus. Many of them come to know Jesus. Their hearts are changed. Uh, their lives are changed forever. They're saved out of idolatry and they're saved too, worshiping not an idol, but worshiping uh, the living God. But now where we find ourselves several years later is they're getting dangerously close again to the things of their past. Perhaps they're thinking, you know, we're, we're mature enough now. We've arrived. And, and you even catch some of that as Paul is addressing things to this letter that they have written him a letter and he's responding to that letter. And perhaps the tone in their letter was, we got this. We're good. We've arrived. We're untouchable. We, we're, we're not going to get tripped up again in our, our past struggles. In fact, remember 1 Corinthians chapter 4 uh, in verses 8 through 10. Listen to what Paul says. And he says this with sarcasm. He says this. He says, already you have all you want. Already you've become rich. Without us, you've become kings. Would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles, that is, uh, men who have walked with Jesus or thriving in faith. God has exhibited us apostles, last of all, men sentenced to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels, and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you 
you are wise. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. So Paul's saying, with sarcasm, you're strutting around like you got it together, like you're rich kings on the throne of your life, like you're wise and you're strong, while we apostles are, are living like fools. We are living in weakness. We are living in humility. So he, he's already kind of gone there with them. And now here in chapter 10, he warns them. He says, if you think you stand, take heed lest you fall. Take heed meaning listen up, be, be careful. So, so listen to, to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We'll just start at the beginning here in uh, verse 1. He says, for, for I do not want you to be unaware, brothers. So he's saying, I don't want you to miss this. This is important. You really need to hear this. I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers. So he's about to get into stuff with regards to the forefathers. There's going to be lots of Jewish background here that I don't have a ton of time to explain uh, this morning. But, but know this. They weren't Jewish. Just like we're not Jewish. However, because of Jesus, we're brought into God's story. We're brought into the, the family, the people of Israel. And one of the things I love about our faith is that we are spiritual family, not ethnic family. That we have people from every stripe, every race, every nation can be brought in and can be unified and can be made one because of Jesus. So let's, let's read on. For I, I want you to know, brothers... That our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. The rock was Christ. Okay, so what's going to happen here is Paul's going to bring them back through several historical moments for the people of Israel, the Hebrew people. First the cloud by day, and then the passing through the Red Sea, and then the manna or the bread from heaven that he refers to as spiritual food, and then water from the rock that he refers to as spiritual drink. This is all part of God's rescuing of his people out of slavery in Egypt and into the promised land or geographic Israel. And, and so first, the passing through the Red see shortly upon leaving uh, Egypt maybe you watched the 1950s Moses movie you know the story somehow you know the story maybe you grew up around church or, or, or not what happened is shortly upon being released from Egypt remember let my people go he lets them go finally and they 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 get up against the Red Sea and they're they're, they're really in trouble the 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 Pharaoh changes his mind sends the army after them they're about to die but then God through Moses parts the sea, the people go through the sea, the army follows them through the sea. As they get to the other side, the army's still in the sea, God crashes the sea on them, and they all die. That's the passing uh, through the sea. The cloud by day was this picture of the presence of God with them in the wilderness. And when the cloud, the presence of God moved, they would pack up, and they also would move. And, and, and so Paul says they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Now, throughout history, baptism is the way that you would identify through various religions. This wasn't just originated with Christianity. This is Christians taking taking uh, something that was cultural and, and giving it real meaning and now pictures the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus as Christians. But throughout history, baptism uh, was a picture of being connected to a leader and to a people. And so when we baptize here as a church family, we're saying uh, I, I'm being connected to Jesus and I'm a part of 
the people or the way of Jesus. And Paul says, for them, they were baptized into a leader Israel, into a, or a leader Moses, into a people Israel, the cloud by day, the Red Sea. He goes on, the next illustration is manna or bread from heaven. So God fed them in the wilderness, in the, the desert, by they would wake up in the morning and bread, manna, like flake, would fall from the sky and be on the ground. And in the morning, they would collect it and they would have food to eat. Paul calls that spiritual food. He also then speaks to spiritual drink. That's referring to water uh, from the rock. Maybe a little less familiar story. Water from the rock was uh, Israel is being fed manna from heaven, bread from heaven, uh, but it's also very hot and obviously they're very thirsty. I've talked to people who have been in Israel and part of the Negev and it's, um, it's just so uh, excruciatingly hot there and so they're thirsty and so God tells Moses to to strike the rock Moses strikes the rock he obeys and water comes gushing out and the rock serves as a well for God's people uh, for and, and it gives water to thousands of thirsty Hebrews then Paul says the rock that followed them Here, here's the deal there's this extra biblical, so it's not written in the scriptures, but this extra biblical kind of rabbinic tradition that just like the bread followed them and they woke up every morning and there was bread on the ground, likewise, uh, the rock followed them for drink. Where this came from is because the story of the rock, there's a similar story both at the beginning and at the end of the, the Exodus story, Exodus chapter 17 and Numbers 20. And so people gathered if the rock's at the beginning and the rock's at the end, then the rock must also have been in the middle. If you're a skeptic in here, I am too. I don't know. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know. But, but Paul says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you about the rock that we know followed them. The rock that we know followed them, that was with them, the rock was Christ. And so what Paul does is he kind of co-apps this uh, story to make a larger point that the rock is Christ. The rock is Messiah. That is to say that, that Jesus from the very beginning has been in the business of saving people from death all along the way that Jesus has been active in all of human history, which now leads us to kind of Paul's next point where he's going to go on to tell us that, that Jesus uses the rebellion of the people of the Old Testament as examples for us New Testament followers of God. You with me? I told you, it's a lot. There's a, there's a lot in here. And this is all nice, right? All these nice parallels between the old and the new. Paul is giving what was known as a midrash, which is like a, a, a rabbinic sermon with, with nice parallels and hints and quotes and, 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 and points. But now, Paul is going to really turn it back onto the Corinthian people and likewise then onto us. Check this out, verse 5. Nevertheless, so all these parallels about God doing this and that and the other. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. So God saved them all, but eventually they were overthrown in the wilderness. That is, years after this season of walking with God and being called out as a new people, they all turn to idolatry. They start worshiping false gods of the other people around them, of the cities that they're, they're, they're coming into, and they end up just dying in the wilderness. And their children see the promised land, but they don't get to see the promised land. That's how this amazing rescue story from Egypt ends. Now, do you see what Paul is doing here? 
Paul is telling the story of the Hebrews in such a way to show the parallels between the Hebrews and the Corinthians. He's saying, wow, Corinthian church, the Hebrews were freed from captivity. And you likewise were free from captivity to Satan, sin, and death. Wow, the, the Hebrews were baptized in the cloud and in the sea. And you were baptized in the waters unto to Christ. The, wow, church, the Hebrews were, were given spiritual food and drink. And, and God has given you the bread and the wine, communion. Wow, church, the, the, the Hebrews turned from God to flirting with idolatry. And you too are now flirting with idolatry. Wow, the, the Hebrews died brutally in the wilderness for it. And you, you better be careful. That's what he's saying. Verse 6 says, Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. And again, Christ, Messiah, was there. He's been active throughout all of history. Though he takes human form uh, at, at Christmas, he's been active throughout all of history, the second person of the Trinity, and he's allowing history to teach us. And, and so Paul says these things, that is uh, the death of rebellious people, God has been miraculously saving them, and, and yet they die in the wilderness. These things took place as an example for us. Now, I know in, in this room we have a lot of teachers. We have a number of college professors. And, 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 and you know, as a teacher, that you can't simply just tell somebody something. You don't just tell them something. They need to see it, right? They need to touch it. They need to be a part of it. And so if you, you, you want to display it yourself, maybe by showing them yourself, maybe you want to bring them on a, on a field trip, maybe you want to bring in a special guest, kind of like even what we did here just now with, with Jua up here. I, I know that you learn so much more as, as we share and display for you what it's going to look like uh, than, than me just giving a powerful sermon from Ephesians chapter 2 on Christian unity, uh, the process that we're in and we'll be in for a while now it's going to show you you're going to learn so much more right the the power of example And, and yet just as effective can be the power of a negative example right athletes will go back and they'll they'll review film and they'll say i did this wrong here's where the thing here's where the game turns south and 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 they'll they'll learn from their mistakes or or if you've ever had somebody close to you who's completely jacked up their lives with bad decisions and and now it, it it's an awful thing but it actually can be helpful for us if we can learn from their mistakes because you're very close to that. I don't want to end up like that. I don't want that to happen to me. God in his, his grace and in his providence never allows a mistake to be wasted. And Paul is using the failings of the people of Israel to serve the Corinthians and to serve, and to serve us. These things took place as, as examples. Look with me now at, at verse 7. He says, do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the capital D, destroyer, the enemy. Now these things happened to them as an example. But they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. 
So Paul will now remind them of the various failings of the Hebrews. And this only scratches the surface. He talks about idolatry, that they wanted to, to, to worship something physical, like the story of the golden calf when Moses goes up on the mountain and he gets the Ten Commandments and he gets the, the first five books of the Bible and he comes down and all the people took their golden things and, 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 and melted it down and created a calf so that they could worship. Not a separate God. They thought this would be a picture of their one true God and they're worshiping a cow because they wanted something physical to, to worship. Despite all the miracles of God in their midst, they would worship poles, Asherah poles, and, and statues to Baal, and they, they look for something physical. But we do the same thing, and just in different ways. I know oftentimes we'll look upon the Old Testament and go, how could they be such idiots? But we do the, we do the same thing, right? We, we get consumed with our bank account because we can open up a laptop and we can watch the numbers get larger, even though the Bible tells us that we can trust that we, if we're, we're putting our attention and our heart and our focus on Him, that we're storing up treasures for heaven. And yes, they're unseen, but they are, the Bible says, they are being stored up. We do the same thing in various ways ways. We idolize money and career and stuff and, and people. He goes on, he mentions sexual immorality. We spent a lot of time on this word porneia, but they're hooking up with all kinds of, of people and cities and, and they made all kinds of mistakes. And, and for us, well, we see that every single, every single day. But notice the consequence. The consequence, referring back to Numbers 25, when Israel whored around with Moabite women, this wicked and incestuous people, uh, 23,000 people died in a plague as a consequence. God doesn't play when it comes around to sexual immorality because he knows how devastating it can be. And he will go through severe examples in order to protect us. These things serve us. They serve us. God doesn't play. Paul also lists putting God to the test. He says they did it. They put God to the test and they died by snakes, referring to Numbers 21. They started treating God kind of like this cosmic vending machine. If I pray, you must give me what I ask for specifically so that I will know that you are real. And God says, I don't play that game. I give you what's good and best for you and for my plans, but I'm not your cosmic vending machine snakes. We do the same thing, right? We treat God like you give me what I want so that I know that you're real. When he says, I've given you countless examples in your life and in the scripture and history, I am real. Next in Paul's list is grumbling. The people were constantly grumbling. And when they were hungry, God gave them food. And when they were thirsty, God gave them drink. And when they were in danger, God miraculously rescued them. Uh, and yet God's providence and God's provision was never enough. They were prone to grumble. Fortunately, I don't have to talk about that here because we don't struggle with that at all, right? Of course we do. And the results of all of these things are, are very severe. Why? Because God is using history to protect us and to warn us from making similar mistakes. Verse 12, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he falls. Let, take heed lest he fall. You think you stand, be careful. You think you're good. You think you're thriving spiritually. Praise God for that. But you still got to be careful. 
You still got to be careful. They, they were flirting again with some of the, the stuff from the past, pre-Jesus. They were living really confidently around some of the stuff from their past as if we're no longer susceptible to falling. Perhaps they were going back, it sounds like from, from what we've been reading already, to, to the temple feast. And we're not going to worship anymore. We're just going to the feast. We're just going for a good party. We're just going to hang out. We're going to be light. And Paul says, you're going as idiots is what you're doing. Take heed lest you fall. Perhaps we, we, we talked about historically some of the, the famine that was facing Corinth at the time. Perhaps they were going as a sign. Of, they, they didn't trust God. Like where else are we going to get food, God? We're going to have to go to these feasts. So, so, so they go there and, and maybe they weren't trusting God. We don't know. But, but Paul says stop being so cocky because when you think you are untouchable is when you are most susceptible when you let your guard down that believer is when you tend to fall we, we got to hold on to ephesians chapter 5 15 this is a, a passage of scripture i'm always getting teenagers to memorize ephesians 5 15 paul says to the church at ephesus he says look carefully then how you walk not as unwise but as wise. That means look where you're going. Not as, you're going to trip on a root. You're going to fall. Look carefully, making the best use of the time for the days are evil. In other words, every single day, the enemy is looking to trip you up. The days are evil. I don't want you, I don't want you to, 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 to trip. I, I love you. Be careful so that you don't fall hard, Paul says. Yes, the, the grace of God knows no boundaries, but I want to spare you of the heartache that you, you don't have to go through if you would be prudent and, and wise and, and walk closely with Jesus and not try to go dabble in, in things of, of the past. Next verse, verse 13. He says, So no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So he says, don't flirt with sin, but you will find yourself in tempting situations at time. We not long ago broke this verse down, and so I won't go too much into it. But, but whatever sin you find yourself struggling with or tempted in, he says, know that it's common to man. Like you're not alone. So often I think we, we struggle with stuff in, in the dark because we feel like we're the only one and we don't want to talk about it. But listen, you, you're not alone. He says, it's common to man. Whatever it is, it's common to man. He says, also know that God's not going to tempt you beyond your ability. In other words, with the Spirit of God within you, you can have victory over sin. Don't throw your hands up and say, whatever, grace of God, I'll just struggle and, and look at that or do that or whatever it is. No. He says, you won't be tempted beyond your ability. You can be victorious. He says, and God will provide a way of escape. That means we're constantly, when we're struggling, looking for those escape routes. It might be that person who comes in and says, hey, and, and it catches your attention from the thing that you were about to do. It, it, it might be some kind of prompting of the Holy Spirit when something comes to your remembrance about the consequences that happened last time from a, a really bad decision. Look for those escape routes. God saved you from the eternal consequences of sin, and God's given you the ability for victory over the earthly battles with sin until we're with the Lord forever and we don't struggle any longer. He says, don't get cocky. Don't flirt with danger. Be careful. Be watchful. Be humble. And when you struggle, look for that way of escape. Now, here's how he closes as we read our final verses. 
Look with me at, at verse 14. He says, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourself what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not the participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread. We who are many are one body, for we all partake in the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No, he's saying, listen, this is, listen I'm with you. Yet you have liberty. This, these things aren't, these aren't real idols. It's not like you're, you're eating some true word. No, it's just not, they're nothing. I get it. But no, I imply that what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table, uh, the table of the Lord and of the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than, than he? So what Paul's saying, and there's a lot here that we don't, just don't have time to break down today, but Paul's saying in light of the consequences that come upon Israel, seen in the verses above, therefore flee from idolatry. And then Paul says, I'm speaking to sensible people. Like, I, I know you understand. You get this. He says, judge for yourself what I say. Like, this makes, this makes sense. You cannot immerse yourself in and around all of this, this stuff and then just show up to church and go through religious motions like communion, declaring that the death of Jesus on the cross has changed everything. If Jesus has changed everything for you, then, then you're going to run from some of these sins. He says, so consider the people of Israel. Think on their struggles. Think on, on their consequences. They were severe because God doesn't play. And don't play with God. Don't provoke him to jealousy. He says, are we stronger than, than God? Are we stronger than God? And as always, there's, there's, this, there's this tension with the, the gentleness and the tender grace of God, which, which so often we talk about and preach about here. There's a tension with that and the, the seriousness and the holiness of God. The Bible talks so often about the fear of God. And we as American Christians try to downplay that all the time. Well, the fear of God just means reverence. It just means revere. No, fear means fear. Like when you translate it from the original language, fear means fear him. I've heard the illustration given before that think of it like a, think of it like a rubber band. We, we, we often try, try to balance these things. You can't balance it. Think of it like a, like a rubber band that, that, that God is gracious and he's loving and he's gentle and he's tender. And yet as a part of who he is at the same time, there's holiness and fear. And in the middle, th there's a tension. Do you ever feel that tension as a believer? Like I approach God as father and yet you get to the book of Revelation and when John sees Jesus, he falls to the ground as though dead. That's what you call tension. That there's this, this, this element of when we're with God and we're aware of the presence of God that what a gift. I love you and your love for me that you would love me and care for me and be tender with me. And yet at the same time, you are so holy and so otherly and so different. There's a, there's a tension there. 
So last night, I either made a very good dad decision or a very bad dad decision. Uh, my neighbor gave us a dirt bike. <laughs> and so now we have a dirt bike. And uh, we're going we're gonna to load it up and bring it to western Massachusetts because obviously we have no dirt to, to ride in uh, this area. And uh, we'd get arrested if we rode it on those trails I was talking about earlier. Uh, we'll bring it to the grandparents. They have a lot of land out there. And I remember as a, as a kid riding my friend's dirt bike and having so much fun in the woods. And so uh, we, we have a dirt bike. Uh, so it's going to be a lot of fun, but it's also unbelievably dangerous. And I've heard it so many times from people who own motorcycles. They say, it's not a matter of if you're going to crash your motorcycle. It's a matter of when you crash your motorcycle. Uh, you will drop your bike at, at some point. And so what's the solution? What's the solution? We stay away from it altogether or we have fun, but we never get too cocky, too confident, we stay humble. As followers of Jesus, he has freed us. We have liberty. We get to walk in the fact and the comfort of knowing that God's love and favor cannot be removed from us because we are now adopted into his family, children of God. And, and just like my kids can do nothing to make me ever stop loving them, you can do nothing so severe that God will ever stop loving you. And yet at the same time, God says, be holy as I am holy. And there are real consequences on this earth for your sin. Yes, the eternal consequences are wiped away, but there are real consequences on this earth for your sin. And if we live in blatant sin and disobedience to the things of God and we continue to show up here and partake of communion and hear examples from the scripture and, and still leave and not change, then maybe, maybe like some of those Israelites, we, we didn't actually put real faith in God in the first place. And our lives were never truly changed. And so there is this fear. And there is, even as you hear the letters of the Apostle Paul, him saying things like, I examine myself to know if I truly am even in the faith. If Paul has to do it, I think we have to do it. If there's not real and lasting life change, and then the deep, we, we have desires. Uh, there, there's deep desire. If the deepest desire of your heart is Jesus. I didn't say the strongest desire. Sometimes our strongest desires are, are for sexual immorality and for, we have strong desires that are really difficult. But if the deepest desires of your heart is Jesus, you're going to come back and you're going to walk with Jesus. So we hold this tension. We hold this tension that yes, we are free and yes, we must obey. Yes, he loves us. Yes, he is holy and otherly. And so there is this tension that believers, we have to humbly walk in. As believers, we cannot get cocky. As believers, we've got to look carefully where we're going, lest we fall, lest we get tripped up, lest we get hurt, lest we even, the scripture here says, die. And so can we pray together? Let's pray. Father, this is one of those passages where it's pretty challenging to preach and sometimes I don't even know how to do it. But yet your scriptures make it really clear that you call us to holiness. You call us to be different. You call us not to get confident and cocky, but to walk in this tension. And so Father, I pray that as your people, 
We would live with our heads held high knowing that the love of Jesus is not based on our merit and anything that we do, but at the same time we live looking around and being careful that we not be tripped up. So God, I pray that you would help our our family to live in the tension, to make much of you. God, if we're going to make an impact in this city, we need you to, to help us here. We need your spirit to continue to convict us. And maybe right now you're convicting people of some specific things they've been cocky in, they've been confident in, they've been dabbling in, probably not bowing down to an idol, probably not orgies like the Corinthian church. But whatever it is, Lord, would you show us what it is that we're dabbling in, abusing your grace, ignoring your prompting. Would you stir us up, Father? God, we want to be holy. And we know that positionally we are holy because of Jesus. But practically help us to live holy. Practically help us to walk each step on this journey of faith in such a way that we're careful not to bring reproach upon the name of Jesus. That we're careful to not fall. And so God, help us to be the people as you intend them to be. God, thank you for this good warning from the Apostle Paul. Do your work in the hearts of my friends. And God, if there's anybody in here today who's been been living their lives completely apart from Jesus, they've never given their lives to Jesus, I pray that today would be the day that you would be prompting their hearts that right now they would call upon the name of Jesus and be saved. Not because they now are just gonna do good stuff but because they're looking to the past. They're looking to what Jesus has done for them by dying on the cross, paying the price for their sin and resurrecting from the grave, showing that you're victorious over sin and death. And they would trust in your forgiveness of sins, your payment for sin, and your lordship over their lives. And in that, they would call Jesus. I need that. I want that. I want to turn from sin and independence from you, and I want to turn to you. And so while your eyes are closed, if that's you, I want to call you to that today. You call upon the name of Jesus and become a Christian and be saved and let us know. Let us know what God's doing in your heart. The connection card has a spot there where you can let us know. I'd like to trust in and follow Jesus. We want to resource you. So God, move in their hearts. Move in the hearts of Christians who need to humbly repent of sin or need to just get the reality check that when I'm feeling confident, when I'm I'm comfortable on the motorcycle. I'm comfortable with my faith. That's when I'm probably most susceptible to trip up and to fall. Do your work in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.